Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. My name is Arlene. I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor. I had to... I'm not good at speaking extemporaneously, and I had to take notes. I'm so nervous. So I've been in the program in recovery for 35 years, and I wasn't going to say this, but it actually asked on the form. So I I have 24 years of abstinence. I never take a candle or a chip. It's just how it is because my perfectionism keeps me from doing that. My um, thanks to Mark for asking me to speak today, and I took notes, and I'll be looking down. I'm so nervous. Um, I want you all to get your quarter's worth is the bottom line, you know? It's like, what can I say? I always thought that I was, every time I heard, constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. I used to think that was me. And... um You know, what I think and what I feel about myself is what persists. You know, those thoughts, you know, what's between my ears. And also, you know, until I let go absolutely, which is a thing that occurs more than one time. It occurs many times where I've had to surrender. And I used to think, oh, it's a one-time thing. I did my third step with a sponsor. We were on our knees. We did the deal. And, I mean, I used to think that in the beginning. And um, anyway, so, and also when I would hear, what an order, I can't go through with it. Somebody once pointed out to me, what, an order? And I really relate to that. You know, like, do not tell me what to do. I've had enough of that in my life. So what it was like was that I grew up in New York to a family of compulsive overeaters who were in tremendous fear My grandparents were all immigrants. My father's parents were deaf-mutes. My mother's parents were um, angry, unpleasant. Um, You know, she grew up in that situation. My mother did. And And she thought, oh, I am going to be such a modern mother. I'm going to be nothing like my mother. And lo and behold, you know, She may have had a modern stove, but she was not, you know, she did her best. She did the best with what she had, but she restricted the entire family's food and instilled fear. There was just, everything was fear that there wasn't going to be enough. So she never even prepared enough food. You know, that was like my story. And as soon as I was able to, steal from my mother's slender purse and, you know, get out of the house and get to the store where all the store, yes, the avenue we called it, which was where all the stores were, you know, I would get 
this from here and that from there. And there was just never enough. And she, and you know, it's not like we say there's never enough. There wasn't enough. And I couldn't control my own food at all or anything else about my life. I wasn't allowed to dress how I wanted. I wasn't allowed to sleep over at a friend's house because it was just, it was fear, fear, and fear. And I took that on for sure. So, and also there wasn't mom love, you know, and nurturing. And I wasn't fed when I was hungry when I was a baby. I was fed on a time clock like so many of us were back in those days. And she would leave me to cry. And I think that was my first abandonment, you know. And I've had lots of heartbreak, but that was the first one. So, you know, when I babysat for kids in my building, you know, it was during the day, I was quite young, I would, like, A, eat the food, which I've heard in these rooms. I would eat their food, but I would also wake up the babies (laughs) so that I could play with them and love them and hug them like I wanted to be, you know, loved and hugged. So I didn't really realize that, but that's, I was doing that, but that's what was happening. So then I got myself a wonderful best friend who was the first person I felt loved me unconditionally. It was the greatest feeling in the world. She saw me, she loved me, she accepted me, I could be myself. Um, And that was great. And unfortunately, I lost her at an early age. She passed away. And that was another heartbreak. And, you know, I dragged that around for a long time, many years, too many years. And, you know, I think that a lot of it was that I wanted you to hear me, you know, And I would tell the stories, like I even just told. And, you know, you'd be like, oh, poor you. You know, poor poor me, poor me, poor me another milkshake, you know. And it was really, that's what was happening for a very long time. And because my food was so restricted, like if we went out to dinner, my father used to say, you know, you got big eyes. Because I could not decide what I wanted to get because I wanted everything and I was never like a volume eater but I felt like oh my god this is my only opportunity to make a decision and that stayed with me for a very long time that behavior even sometimes today when I'm planning my food I'm like make sure you write that that is what you exactly want for your breakfast you know because And I don't want to be one of the people who talks about eating their zoo food. I don't like to eat the same exact thing every day. I like to have some, I like to enjoy my food. And I have several choices of breakfast and several of lunch. And But I sometimes postpone eating in the day. I notice that because I don't want to decide. And I have to soothe myself and say, it's okay, you're going to have another meal in a few hours. It's really okay, and tomorrow you can have something else. So eventually, you know, I found program, 
And I don't even know how I got here exactly. I mean, Weight Watchers wasn't working. Oh, I know. What happened was I worked in the entertainment business, and this was in the early 80s, and they did not want us to ever leave work. I mean, they just did anything they could to keep us there. And it wasn't, um, you know, craft services. It was like, order anything you want. Just don't leave the building, you know. We'll give you drugs. We'll ply you with lobster. You know, whatever it is, just don't leave the building ever. And seriously, it was crazy. And I was very stressed out at that job. It was a creative job. I didn't know if I was creative or not, but, you know, I was, and I did. But I, that's when, like, when there was, when there is and there was abundance of food, like 5,000 loaves of cheese garlic bread laying across the, I would be, like, crazy. And, and people would leave it, normal people. Would they take a little and leave it? And I would be like, I'm taking these home. I need, I need to know that there's going to be enough. I need more of this. You know, also when I was a kid, people would come with a little, those little pink boxes from the bakery. And it was like this teeny box because stuff was expensive. And I'm like, there's not enough for everybody in this little teeny box. Everything was so restricted for me. So I got, like, if I went to a counter and there was, like, 9 million cookies, I wanted to stuff my pockets with them, you know. And that just became, like, unmanageable, unmanageable. Although, you know, I'm not a 100-pounder. I There are just a couple of things that I cannot eat like a lady at all. <laughs> and, you know, so, okay, so I came to program. And uh, I started hearing things like going to any length. But I also heard it from somebody who maybe wasn't so well, who to her going to any length every night, she had to take all her food from the cupboard and put it in the trunk of her car because she couldn't trust herself. And it scared me. You know, it scared me. And I didn't know that that wasn't the norm. You know, we have to, anyway, and I also used to go out to eat with people from program, and that scared me. It was like, these were the particular people. I would be like, oh, my God, what is this program? And I was afraid, you know, they say to stick with the winners and win with the stickers and all that. And, you know, you want to be with people who have what you want. But I didn't know that at the time. So, you know, we are representing Overeaters Anonymous to the world and the way that we behave. You know, it's attraction, not promotion. And I wasn't attracted to this, but I kept thinking, okay, this is it, you know. And I never wanted to be, like, part of a group. Like, uh, Groucho Marx would say I wouldn't want to belong to a group that would have someone like me as a member. I was like... I was not a group person. I was not in the Girl Scouts. I didn't want a million friends in high school who were, like, wanting something from me. Call. Why didn't you call me last night? It's like, 
get away. I was very come here, go away. And that remains. It remains, you know. Look at me, don't look at me. I want your attention, but don't look too close at me. So um, this is stuff that I work on. And, um, you know, I used to be, I heard this, uh, somebody share this recently about sitting in the back row of half measures. And I think I used to sit in the back row. And I didn't know that I wanted to jump in. Now I sit in the front row. Now I sit in the front row at my computer. But, you know, I, I learned what to do. I learned here what to do. And I'm very discerning, you know. I, I, I know, like, I don't want that. I want this. And I need to stick with the people who have what I want. But also in the beginning, it was like, who do I feel safe with? I really needed to feel safe. And I didn't always feel safe. You know, people, you know, we have anonymity, but people would talk about me behind my back. Or we talk about each other. You know, it's not just me. I just didn't feel safe. And I found, oh, I need to, like, you know, take my mess to my sponsor and take, you know, whatever else to the group. And uh, I never wanted to share, even a short share, let alone lead a meeting. I just held back. I, I thought in the 80s, people were um, hysterical crying at the microphone week after week after week after week. And they would bring their stuffed animals. And it was all about inner child work at the, in those days. And I was so critical and judgmental i mean if i'm judging myself i'm judging you you know and i feel that that's what i have done and so i just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on till i found out like it's all in the big book it's all in the steps it tells you exactly what to do right there i no human power could have relieved my overeating or anything else And I kept looking to you. And so for a very long time, I was like, what do you eat? What do you eat? What do you eat? What do you eat? And when that comes up for me, sometimes even now, when I hear, oh, you just lost 20 pounds, like, what did you do? I'm like, for me, I know I eat very well, healthfully, but I don't move my body. And I know that for myself, that's what I need. I have a very slow metabolism. I have Hashimoto's, you know, thyroiditis. I, I just need to do that. And if I don't love myself into that, it just stays. And um, But I've learned to accept myself now and to love myself regardless of that. Because when I'm beating up on myself, it's not great. So I started work. I worked the steps, and then I rested on my laurels. I mean, oh wow, I did the up until these steps. Oh, I made amends to my mother, which that was really challenging. I went through the questions in the fourth step, and I switched it around onto her, and I owned my own stuff, and it really worked. It gave me relief. But then I rested on my laurels. Five minutes. Thank you. And so the more I kept working the steps and going to different big book workshops and 
learning more and more about my, that the disease was in my head and it was my thinking, my thinking that um, this is what a real mother should be like. This is what a real man should look like. You know, all those thoughts that I had that were not true. And once I got, and it was just my perception. And once I got to, um, you know, put my eyes on myself and recognize what I was doing, you know, that I was not the perfect daughter. Even though you were doing this, I was doing this. And once I was able to have that new pair of glasses and stop telling my story, my story, my story, which to me at this point is all ego. You know, I wanted you or whoever to see me and to what? I don't know. To to go, yeah, that's really terrible that your dad said that. Yeah, it's really terrible. And I was not, I did, I was trying to control the situation. So the steps, the more, the more I did it, the more I did it with different people leading the workshop, each time more and more was revealed to me. And uh, I stopped with the food, focusing on the food, and I started focusing on the steps, and that really helped me. And today I, um, let's see, uh, I am bec- I'm on the path, you know, and I'm becoming, and I really believe that there is no arriving. There's no arriving, and I'm grateful for that because it keeps me coming back, keeps me, you know, doing other outside things where I'm looking more deeply at myself. There's always more work to do and, you know, additional veils to be lifted so that I can see myself. And um, I just want to see more clearly. Today I'm willing to see the truth. And, um, you know, there's a woman, everyone likes to mention her in this program, Doris Siegel. And she used to, people don't really remember, but I know she used to say, go where the love is. And I really heard that. And when we said, keep coming back, it works if you work it. She would say, and give a lot of love. I remember that. Even though she was a little scary, (laughs) she had that love. She had that love. And I know she, the program changed her. It can change me. It has changed me. Oh, my God. It's changed me. And um, today I am growing and cultivating a close relationship with higher power, which, you know, it's a mystery. I have to admit it's a mystery and that's okay. But who was I talking to before the meeting? Who am I talking to on a daily basis? You know, my higher power, who has my back, who loves me unconditionally, who has given me the ability to love myself today and to love myself with food. And sometimes I want to say, oh, if you really loved yourself with food, you would have that (laughs) thing. And I'm like, I'm able to follow it through to its logical conclusion today, one day at a time. You know, like, that is not loving toward myself. 
So um, let's see. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, the promises are totally coming true in my life. Uh, many of them have come true, and they continue to. It's just more is revealed all the time. And I love thinking about it. Instead of more like the onion, I like the veils being lifted so that I can actually see what is happening with me. So thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. And, Mark, for some reason, I'm not seeing hands. So not a problem. I'll call there's, no sharing, there's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you're using video and have a question, please raise your hand. If you're using audio only, please click the raise your hand icon. And we stop at 9.50. First up, we have Nancy. No kidding. (laughs) Girl, my my name is Nancy Beecham, and I am a very happy compulsive overeater. I've been in OA for 44 years, and I'm maintaining 150-pound weight loss. Thank you, God. Arlene, as you know, I came in here a 100-pounder, and so I loved the idea of disconnecting my refrigerator and putting my food in my, in my house, and I love the fact that you showed how different we all are. My question is this. Could you talk a little bit more, because I know that you humbly didn't talk about all the service you do. Can you talk a little bit more about your character defects and if some of them have dissipated, like your anger? Do you have a little more trust now? Are you able to communicate with friends? And talk a little bit about things in your life that might bring you joy and and the happiness that, that is why we stay here so long. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. Yes. All of, yes, so much anger has dissipated because I learn here to love myself and I receive love from people here. And, um, the joy, uh, I still sometimes, it sometimes eludes me. You know, the joy. I still work on that. I, I I have joy when I am with people I adore, when I hear music, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm a joyful person, but the kind of joy, the thing that I think would give me, I keep thinking will give me the joy, has still eluded me. You know, I'm not married. I never got married. I have a child. That gave me tremendous joy. I made a decision to have a child. I met his father in OA. Don't try to think who it is. You don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, I hope I answered that. that. That's all I got for that. Right, next up we have, else? yeah, uh, Julie. Thanks, Arlene. Good to hear your story. Um, can you talk about your relationship to the tools and how you use them? And was there one that you really didn't 
want to use, but how you got to. Absolutely. I mean, I always say, like, you know, if I want to bang in a nail, I should use a hammer. But sometimes I use my shoe, you know, and it's like the tools are, you know, pick and choose, pick and choose. But there's all those tools. Yes, I don't pick up the phone. I do not pick up the phone. The same few people get to hear me, period. And it's not good because, um, and I don't really go, I don't, you know, share myself that well. I don't, you know, open myself up to you, the group, individ- there's a few individuals who I feel safe with. And there's so many of you that I adore who I've seen change so much. And I just, I don't know, I keep, you know, I was going to read that quote from Anais Nen, who says, there came a time when the risk to remain tight in the bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And I work on that. I work on that. I want to blossom. So the tools, you know, I, I, I did, I and mean, you talked about service. So I do do a lot of service. I have done a lot of service. It was very slow, tiptoeing in, putting my little foot in the water. Ellie and I did coffee together. You know, I did coffee. I set up chairs. I, I did everything that was asked of me. I hated to speak though. So scared. And, um, then I got to, you know, I was talking with my sponsor about commitment and I was, she says, don't write about your fear of commitment. Take a commitment. And I got on the board and I was the, you know, special events chair and I loved it. But, you know, it, my sense of control comes up when I start doing that kind of thing. And so then I learn how to be right size. You know, it's a learning process. I, I don't need to judge myself. And I hope not to judge all of you. <laughs> Does that answer your question, Julie? Some tools I, I don't pick up. You know, I pick up the wrong tool, the comfortable ones. I'll call you. I see Ellie's hand. I don't know who's next, though. Uh, Lillian is. Okay. Hi, Arlene. Thank Hi, Lillian. Wonderful to hear you. Yeah, of course, I related to a good bit. But since you mentioned it and you said, you asked people, what do you eat and what do you eat? I thought I'd ask you, what do you eat? Like on a regular day, what would your food plan be? Just on a Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, I commit my food now ahead of time i have a food plan and i eat uh three meals a day most days yesterday i didn't because i was meeting my son for brunch you know there's like flexibility but i can always pick something that is within my abstinence i'm not eat well i'm not eating flour and sugar right now but sometimes if flour i don't eat flour in terms of Okay, what do I eat was your question. I eat yogurt and fruit. I eat oatmeal. I eat healthy food. I I eat, um, you know, vegetables and protein and always dancing with the idea of being a vegetarian but never really doing it. And um, sometimes I'm completely grossed out by 
uh, you know, meat. Not meat, but I don't eat red meat. But anyway, I eat food. I eat. What do you eat? I eat food. You know, very simple but beautiful food. Uh, Marky, next, yeah. help me out. Yeah. Uh, next up is Barbara. From some, first, thank you so much, Arlene, for your uh, for your share. Thank you. Um, some of the things you said touched an issue that I have, and I wondered if you had the same issue drawing the line between isolation and solitude that I need I need solitude and what is what is the line between isolation and solitude well I often ask myself that question especially you know now during COVID because I do live alone and I'm not getting to do all of the things you know I tend to Love solitude. I do. I love it. But I also love getting out and dancing and hearing music live. That's like my big thing. So I try to do, and I'm out, you know, in my neighborhood walking and loving my neighbors and being a good neighbor. And, um, you know, so I don't isolate in that way. I don't. I talk to everybody. I love to make people laugh, so um, I'm really into that. I mean, even in groups that I'm, Zoom groups, small groups that I'm in, I like to make people laugh. I just need that in my life. So, you know, I have to make the effort. You know, I'm a very shy person by nature, and most people wouldn't guess that, you know. And so I had to overcome it by overcoming it by taking the first step toward people does that answer your question uh, next up we have ellie yes thank you arlene i really appreciated hearing you and since you've answered some of my other questions um I would like to know what you do on a daily basis that helps you maintain your spiritual condition. Well, I don't have a regular routine in the morning. In the evening, I do go through my day. Like lately, I haven't even written down my gratitudes. I just feel like they're getting fewer and fewer, and I don't want to talk about, you know, my shoes and, you know, random things like that. I I really try to connect with my heart and my higher power. I, it's, it's like throughout the day. I don't have a, a morning ritual, which I often wish. I'm just very inconsistent with that. I wish I was more consistent, and I'm not, you know. Um, but I'm consistently connected. And uh, that's the main thing. It's just not a routine. I don't like routines. But, um, I'm, you know, I've created a relationship with a higher power. I do meditate now every day. 
in a particular group. I'm in the Sangha, and we sit and meditate. And it's a very different kind of meditation than I'm used to because it's very contemplative and, you know, reflective. And it's very different. But I love it, and I love that, you know, it's at a special time every day, and then I get to show up there, you know. So, but other than that, throughout the day, I'm connected. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful to God for the littlest thing. If I trip and don't fall, you know, it's it's all I give it to God. So, thanks for asking. Next up, we have Eleanor. Yes, uh Arlene, thank you so much for sharing the ups and downs of your program. I really appreciate that. Uh, I was wondering if you, if there was somebody on this call right now, uh, whether they or not they're a newcomer and they're thinking about leaving OA, what would you say to them? Oh, thank you. I would say don't leave. I mean, why would I stay here for 35 years when I'm not a group person? You know, why I stayed was because I saw what was here slowly. More and more was revealed to me the more I was willing to stay. Because in the beginning, there were it was just a very confusing thing. And had I left, I wouldn't have any of the gifts that I have right now. Um, so, yes, I would thank you, Eleanor. I would say do not leave. Do not leave. You know, and I've had friends... Like Eleanor, for example, or, you know, people who I maybe didn't talk to them over 35 years all the time, but we're close. You know, we have that connection and you can have that here. And maybe she and I both are not. I don't want to speak for her, but maybe we both aren't the ones who, you know, necessarily, you know, I wasn't looking for a friend here a best friend. I have my friends outside. I should say that. I was like going to them with my stuff instead of going to the people who have shared the same solution as me. That took a long time. And I recommend that. You want to I want to talk to the people who have the same solution as me. And that's all of you. So thank you, Eleanor. Four minutes. And next up, we have Charles. Mark, uh, thank you, Mark, and thank you so much uh, for the lead. I'll turn my uh, camera on, but I hope the snow doesn't freak out you people in L.A. Um, oh, I would love it. Ten inches last night. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I enjoyed about your share, um, we may work in similar industries, and I've really struggled with the free food that is offered at places, you know, uh, and someone in the program told me never to eat free food, but uh, presuming you still have dealt with that, what are some tips on how to negotiate that where there's suddenly a bevy of, of food in front of you, um, and how do you handle that situation? Well, thanks for that question, because that always was an issue, the free food thing, because especially because my food was so restricted. Yes, free food. I forgot that expression. Um, so nowadays, you know, first of all, I restrain. Uh, no, what do I want to say? I 
I'm not in that position that much, especially now during COVID. But um, I recoil now. I follow it through to its logical conclusion now. I can't say that I have complete neutrality always around food. I don't always. Sometimes it's just like I'm looking at it, you know. But I know that it's not my food, that I can choose something that I can have and not go crazy. I went crazy for a very long time, and that's just not who I am today, and I'm trying to do the work. I mean, that's the only way is by doing the work and being honest. Um, and, it, it, you know, it didn't always work for me that way, but it does today. And um, today is all I have. So thanks for that question. All right. And, Carol, we have about just one and a half minutes left. Um. Arlene, it was really good hearing you this morning. Um, my question is, uh, you mentioned your fear of speaking in meetings. And um, I was, you, you did wonderfully this morning. I was wondering how you got through it, what what you relied on to carry you through doing this, this hour today. And I relied on, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You mentioned being with your higher power before the meeting as well. So. For sure. And, you know, I relied on my notes because I was like a wreck. And I, I in fact, I, during the week, I was going to call Mark and say, you know what, just get somebody else. I really, I, and I don't need this. <laughs> but maybe I do. You know, maybe it's exactly what I need. And um, my higher power... Yeah. And, you know, once I got started, it was okay. Once I surrendered, you know, once I didn't look at this one person on the screen, you know, once I just could be with my higher power and go where the love is, you know, that's really it. Go where the love is. And don't look at that person, you know, I used to look in the front row who was going, <laughs> no. You know, it's like, who needs it? I've had enough of that. So I love you guys. Thank you for listening to me and for your questions. <laughs>